0: I want to begin with a question today. I think I know the answer to this question. Uh, Have the last 15 months left you unsettled? Have they left you worn out? Are you feeling, like me, a little discontent, a little uncertain? Um, During these last 15 months, I've been preaching to congregations in person when I can, online when I can't. And I've discovered people can only take so much recounting of the last 15 months before they just want you to go away. So I'm not going to do a lot of that today. In fact, I'm going to tell you about another time when I was feeling unsettled. I was feeling worn out. I was feeling discontent and I was feeling uncertain. And it was related to one of the best things that's happened to my family and me uh, during all our life. And that was moving here to Minnesota. It was the Uh, It was November of 2016 that God began to do a thing in our life and start moving us out here. Prior to that, I was living in Pismo Beach, California. I I bet no one in this room has been to Pismo Beach, but if you've driven from L.A. to San Francisco, you've driven through on Highway 101. We lived about nine blocks from the sea. I was part of a church not too different from this one, and I served regionally in a district not too different from this one. And God looked at our life and decided he was going to shake us up. And he did. He shook us up. And it was in early 2017 that the shaking up began to take form, and uh, we came out here um, in what we would probably in Minnesota uh, call spring, but what I in California knew is the dead of winter. Um, I was terrified that it was going to be 35 degrees outside, right? Um, I had to borrow jackets, like all that stuff. Um, And God in his providence called us out here to serve in this role. And uh, it was around that time, I don't know if you can see it up there, you see this little map um, where our dot in Pismo Beach turned into our dot in Cottage Grove. Um, Actually, Grover Beach, the city we lived in, right next to Pismo. And uh, it was an amazing journey. Um, We packed up our little house into a pod. You guys have seen those pods, they drop them off. So the sum total of our life fit into one pod. um, And two cars uh, that were coming along for the ride. Uh, we put one of our kids on a plane. He, he got to skip the driving part. Like, Lord bless him for that. Uh, our other child, our daughter Grace, was not real happy about the move. We had, this, we had this rule on the trip. We put Grace in the nice car. And so you could be with Grace, who was not happy about moving, in the nice car. Or you could be driving the car with bad air conditioning that was, was joyfully quiet, you know. Um and my wife and I, I think my wife got to spend more time in the bad car, if you know what I mean. Um, and Grace and I got to make peace along the road. During that trip, we were trying to figure out what God was going to do to us. Uh, our stable life, 15 years in one place. We got to our old church, both our kids were in cribs. Uh, we left our old church, both our kids had driver's licenses, though I'm not sure both could drive. Um, at one point, uh, we, I put Grace behind the wheel near Palm Springs, California. And I was tired, so I was kind of dozing off a little bit. And I said, oh, there's a car coming up, get over. And Grace hadn't driven a lot at 70. She'd driven a lot at 40, but not at 70. And Grace did one of these. She like changed lanes by turning at 70. And I was wide awake and ready to drive again, right? And so I said, pull over. You don't have to drive anymore on the whole trip. Dad's sorry. He apologizes for all the unsettledness, for all the worn outness, for all the discontent, for all the uncertainty. Uh, we journeyed and journeyed and journeyed, we drove into Minnesota, we landed um, uh, at Northwestern uh, College, I think is how you might know it, I know it as UNWSP, which nobody really knows that's how you know if you're new around here, um, and we stayed in an apartment there while they were finishing building our house, uh, that at that point was just dirt and a promise, and it turned into an actual house, pretty exciting. I dropped our family off that day, Grace and my wife Terry, they got settled into a room that was surely cleaned by college men. So they spent, they spent most of that day cleaning um, our clean apartment uh, that had one bad air conditioning and fans strategically placed all over that we bought at Target. We learned that you're supposed to shop at Target. We figured that out. And I kept on driving in about another hour to a church in the middle of a deep conflict. And they said to me, we're a little worried about our congregational meeting. We think they might vote down the budget. We're not sure how we spend money if they, if they do that. I so, said, oh, we'll figure it out. And they said, and we think they might vote out all the elders. And I said, I'll be there. I'll be there. I want, that's what I do. And we made it through. But I can just tell you, when I got home that night, 2017, I was feeling uh, unsettled. I was feeling worn out. I was a little unsure what I had done to my calm and easy life. And I was uncertain what the future might hold for me. We spent the next year getting settled, uh, trying to figure out what life was going to throw at us. Our family has a rule you can say anything in our family. That's the rule. You don't have to lie, you don't have to pretend, Uh, you don't have to be tidy pastor's kids. Um, My kids wouldn't have cooperated anyway, but you don't have to be tidy pastors' kids. And I remember we were driving home from my home church. I I get to do this about every other week, and and I'm a real part of a local church on the other weeks. And we're driving home from my home church, and I I said, you guys, how are you feeling? You know you can say anything to us. And man, let me tell you, they did. They did. For 25 minutes, they said anything to us. And I listened, and I felt unsettled, and I felt worn out. I felt disconsent. And I felt uncertain, and I felt like I wasn't sure what to even pray for in the middle of that. Well, you are in this series on the Psalms, the summer in the Psalms, which are prayers. And on the one hand, we should pray them. And on the other hand, they tell us a thing or two about how to pray when we are feeling unsettled, worn out, discontent, and uncertain. And today we're going to see, I think, as we look I went a little fast, we're going to see this as we look at Psalm 23, a very familiar psalm. that You probably haven't heard a sermon on in a little while. We're going to look at Psalm 23 and we're going to see this. When we pray, when people like us who are unsettled, uncertain, discontent, and worn out, when we pray, we should genuinely believe that God is the only one who can satisfy our souls. I think that's the big thing we're going to see today. and We're going to see it by doing just a couple things. First is we are going to look carefully at these two word pictures in Psalm 23. As we read through it, you'll see there are these two images, a shepherd and a banquet. We're going to look at them carefully. Uh, And then we're going to ask, in light of what we see, we'll ask this question, what should we believe about God when we pray? And I think there's a few things I want to put before us, you and me today, about how we might pray in the midst of a world like this, in light of a God like the one we are going to see in this psalm. Uh, if you would got just a little ahead of myself there I wanna, I'm want i going to read it for us this psalm for us I want to ask you to do something that's a tradition for me probably not a tradition for you but I want to invite you to stand with me as I read Psalm 23 uh, for almost two decades I've had the privilege of inviting people to stand at the reading of God's word in reverence and I want to explain why our um, In a world just filled with words, can I remind you that these words are not like other words. In a world that's overflowing with books, overflowing like the one we live in, can I remind you that this book is unlike other books. So can I now invite you as we're standing to hear these words from Psalm 23 as God's word for us on this day in my bible it's giving the very familiar heading the lord is my shepherd psalm 23 a psalm of david verse 1 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness forever please be seated so two pictures today and the first picture is the shepherd and his sheep the shepherd and his sheep let me read these words since it's a a short psalm i'm going to read it for us a couple times today let me read them again listen to this picture of a shepherd and his sheep the lord is my shepherd i shall not want verse two he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A couple things I want you to notice about this picture of the shepherd and his sheep. First, look at verse one. God is pictured as a good shepherd. Also so interesting, and we'll, we'll talk about this more. King David pictures himself as part of the flock, as one in need of care. What a rare posture for a king. Not to be in want in verse one is a picture of somebody who has everything that's needed. Nothing needed is withheld. Verse two talks about green pastures and quiet waters. There's places where there's enough food and enough water for a flock to thrive. There's no need to drive the sheep around looking for better pastures. It's important to note here that the psalmist is saying something to people who would have heard this as an exceedingly rare thing. Later today when you're landscaping and you're, and you're looking for shade, you'll have a feel for what it's like to long for green pastures and cool waters, wanting that. Verse three says, he restores my soul. And it's a reminder that God is in fact our provider, the one who sets us back right paths of righteousness in this verse they, they mean two things on the one hand if you're driving a flock of sheep it means putting them on the right path taking the right route right, the right direction it also has a component of moral holiness so correct paths and upright or holy paths are in view verse uh, 4 it is talks about the valley of the shadow of death right like this psalm can sort of sound like a hallmark card until verse 4 and then reality sets in right Right? It's, not, it's not flowery language uh, for a, a beautiful day. It's earthy language for every day. When our city was in the midst of all kinds of civil unrest, it's for that. When we're facing times of trouble and sorrow, it's for that. When your family hits the low spot, it's for that. That's what the psalm is saying. Somebody who protects us in the midst of real life, no-nonsense life, trials and troubles life. A final part of this image is the rod and the staff, and you may have heard this, but the but the rod was for defending, right? Keeping the wolves at bay from the sheep, keeping the keeping the arm out, keeping them protected. And the staff was for guiding, keeping them on the right path, nurturing them ahead. So in these verses, in this picture, verses one through four, we see this picture of God as The shepherd who satisfies us, who provides for our needs, who restores our weary souls, who guides us on the right path, and who is with us protecting and leading in the most difficult times of our lives. Let me give you a picture to help you get a feel for what this might be like. A few years ago, I'll never forget it. You know, I'm, I'm overseen by a board of directors here in our district. And the closest thing I have to a boss is a guy named Brian Lair. He's a pastor of Trinity City Church. He's become a great friend of mine. He was part of the group that called me out here. And uh, month in and month out, Brian and I spend time together. Well, one of those moments came. It was time for my annual review. And he said two things to me I'll never forget. One, he encouraged me. He said, you're, you're serving well. Thank you. He said, but here's the thing. I've asked around and I've looked to... None of us believe you're going to survive this at the pace you're currently going. And that was sobering. That was sobering. I had this vision of myself. I'm like, I can get a lot done, right? I'm never happier than when I'm busier. I can always squeeze another rock into the jar. And Brian said to me, he goes, yeah, we just don't buy it. We don't think you're going to make it. And we like you enough to want you to be around here a while. So we need you to rest. So I decided that summer I would do something, and it turns out it was kind of a strange way to rest. I decided I would rest by going on a very long walk. Um, a friend of mine, who's an ER doctor, and I decided to go to uh, to Europe back when you could do things like go to Europe. Remember those days? Rumor has it they may come back. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping. In fact, my wife and I were going to go to Paris right before this happened. The trip I never gave her. And here comes our 25th anniversary. And she mentioned again to me yesterday, hey, I'd like to go to Paris someday. And I said, I would too. So we're trying. Well, in the summer of 2019, we could still go. So my friend Matt and I decided we were going to go on what's called the Tour de Mont Blanc. And if you, have you heard of the Appalachian Trail or um, the John Muir Trail? These really, so this is kind of Europe's one of Europe's premier really long hikes. And uh, for the very fit, you can do it in like a week, but that's like, you know, Olympics fit. And for the, for the less fit, um, you probably shouldn't do it at all, which was the category I was really probably in. But you can, rumor has it, do it in about two weeks. So we flew to Geneva, Switzerland, we hopped on this trail that's about 106 miles, which is hard, but not the end of the world, but it also has, I think, 70,000 feet of vertical change. Um, so you go up 35,000 feet and you go down 35,000 feet through the course of this little adventure. Um, and I remember we got on this trail and I was like, whoa, this is more than I bargained for. Um, and the, the idea was that I would rest from the responsibility and from the stress by, by um you know, killing myself physically. A strange idea. Um, so we, we, we made it through the hike. We had to skip about 20 miles when my legs decided not to cooperate with the rest of our plan. They just, they started working again. It was really exciting. And uh, this picture that I have before you behind me is two things. One, it was, it was the last horrible day of hiking, the last horrible day. Everything, uh, everything from here was good. It was the second to last hiking day. And on that day, I need to even look back, I got to, I, I, we hiked 18 miles, which was, you know, doable. We went up, I think it was at 42,000 steps and then 360 floors. And this picture that's next to it is on floor 360, if you will. It was this moment where, where I, this connects, believe me, it'll connect eventually. Um, it was this moment where I knew I never had to walk uphill again on this hike. Um, it was the best moment of the hike for me, uh, we had done this last final day. we took a, a shortcut that turned out to be horrible, and we went up and up and up, and it was this never ending incline. And I remember we got to the top of what I thought was the end of this incline, and then I looked and it was like oh oh no it 's way higher and so we went up these switchbacks and we, and we were going, and we were going, and we were going, and we finally got to this little cafe it 's a very strange hike we 're on the top of these mountains they 'll have little cafes. And I bought an Orangina, which turned out to became my favorite drink in Europe. And I sat there, and I thought, thank you, God. This, it was the greenest pasture I'd ever sat in. It, were the, it was the stillest waters I'd ever been near. I looked at my friend, Matt, and he said to me, he was the guy who could have done it in a week without me. um, He said, oh, I think I'm gonna take another one and do this little mountain lake tomorrow that goes up like another 1,000 feet. And I said, Matt, I'll see you in Chamonix. I'm walking downhill the rest of the way. It felt so good. I felt so satisfied. When the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that feeling I had is what I'm supposed to feel like when I remember that my God is in control. I confess I didn't feel it on the incline. I was a grumpy and unpleasant hiker to be around, right? I just kept walking and I just kept walking. But the Lord was my shepherd then too. But these green pastures and those still waters were like a balm for my soul, they were like rest for a weary person. They were in the middle of the valley. One of the saddest moments in this hike, to be candid, that this day, we were on this mountaintop and there was another mountaintop and the, you know what the thing in the middle was? It was where we were walking. It was where we were walking and I remember looking down thinking, oh, no, no, I don't want to go down that because it means I have to go up to the other side. We have a... We have a little refuge um, reservation on the other side and there's no, nowhere to sleep but the other side. It was so heartbreaking. But this moment was green pastures for me. That's the first picture. The shepherd and his sheep. The second picture I think is even more brilliant if you will really notice it. The host and his guest. Verse five. Verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil My cup overflows; surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A couple things I want to invite you to notice about this image. First, if you look down, uh, God is pictured as a host at a banquet, one who prepares a table. King David is his guest. Now, it's a table, the passage says, in the presence of his enemies. It's a powerful and jarring contrast. Hear it, a table in the presence of my enemies. It's like a wedding banquet in the middle of a war or a battle. Now, we can think this is kind of a ridiculous image, but honestly, I don't know of a better description of the Christian life than a table in the presence of my enemies. Think about the reality of our life with God. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a terrible death, rose in victory to prove he could rescue us. He did not, at that moment, fix the world. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? For people like me, the book of Second Peter says, his slowness in just wiping away all brokenness meant salvation. Because a broken kid like me, a sinner like me, had the opportunity thousands of years later to put his hope in that thing that happened. And when I came to the Lord, I discovered two things. My big problems were solved and I still was a sinner like me in the midst of sinners like me in a broken world filled with mess. It has been for these 20-something years very much like a table in the presence of my enemies in the midst of a broken world. There are times where it doesn't feel that way. There are times when it doesn't feel that way, when I'm sitting in my tidy living room. And things are feeling sweet and easy when my air conditioning's working, right? There are times when it only feels that way. Last summer, this fall, and a hundred other times, right? A host and his guest in the table in the midst of his enemies. A couple other things I want you to notice it says, You anoint my head with oil. And this is another picture of the banquet. It's of guests putting perfumed oils on their foreheads as a custom in those days. Verse five says your cup overflows, meaning you have more than enough, a banquet that keeps going and keeps going. And then it says mercy and goodness chase me all the days of my life. And then it says this beautiful banquet. Have you ever been at a place that you don't wanna leave? Oh, I hope I get to stay. You get to stay. You and I get to dwell in this place. Forever and ever. That's the promise of this passage. The promise of this passage. In these verses, we have this complementary picture of God as powerful. He's a protecting host. He gives us security. He provides for us. He satisfies our every need. It's a, a picture of peace in the midst of a storm. Let me give you another image from my little hike. One of the reasons my friend Matt especially wanted to go on this hike is that you didn't have to carry much. Um, backpacking can be a heavy experience, right? Um, you start to wonder how much you need. In fact, it was funny. I, took, I, I don't have them on the slideshow. I took a picture of everything I packed uh, right before we got on this hike. And I think my backpack was about 23 pounds all loaded down, which it, if you're a backpacker, you know, hey, that's not a bad deal, right? Because no tent, uh, no bear vault, none of that stuff. Um, and then uh, on day five, I went and threw a bunch of stuff away. So I was like, no way, man. You know, and I got my backpack down. It was funny. The pictures were hysterical. It was much lighter. It was a much easier backpack. It was much less heavy. Well, one of the other things about this trail, so you, so you don't stay in tents, you stay in these places like this. They're called refuges on the tour de Mont Blanc, and they're and some of them are like hotels. This one is the Chalet Val Ferret um, between France and Switzerland. Uh, this was like a hotel. This place was fancy. It was nice. Although, you know, like hunger sauce is one of our principles. If you want somebody to really like your food, wear them out and give them food, right? Tastes better. Um, I'm not sure how nice this place actually was, but I remember it as the nicest hotel I've ever been in in my life. Um, Others, other hotels were a little weird. The weirdest of the weird was a room where 24 of us shared a room we didn't know each other. It was co-ed, and this big group of like nine hiking women Slept next to my friend Matt and me, and since Matt had paid slightly more for the trip, he got the wall, and I got to stay awake most of the night, hoping I didn't roll the wrong way in this very amazingly awkward, totally uncomfortable um, banquet in the presence of my enemies kind of moment. Uh, (laughs) This place was wonderful. We get there, we get our room, we unpack. You get to take a shower. Things that you take for granted, right? Oh, to be clean and not... And what well, you do still smell, it's really hard to get the smell all the way up, but to smell less, right? We, at this place, we got a meal prepared for us that I'll never forget. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. I was so exhausted. I was so uninterested in walking anymore, right? And then they would, on the way out, they would, uh, they would where, the, where the metaphor breaks down, we had to leave this place, here I am, not there, right? Um, the metaphor breaks down, but they, they give you a meal to take along with you and then they'd point you at another gigantic mountain pass and say walk, you know, and you'd walk again and you'd go up. Uh, this place, whenever I would see one of these places and I'd get to the one we were sleeping at, oh, it was like a balm for my soul. It filled me up. Um, I felt uh, safe, secure. Uh, the, the hard thing was about to stop. Uh, the banquet, I'm gonna go back a slide, see if it'll work. Oops. Uh, The host and his guest is this picture of a God. Do you ever stop and think about what he does for us in the midst of this broken world? And what he's going to do for us in the midst of this unbroken world to come? Let's talk about this. So here's the question In light of Psalm 23, in light of these things, what should we believe when we pray? Because remember, this is a prayer, and we want to learn how to pray, and we're going to pray it too. And three things I want to put for you. The first one is our God really can and really will provide true security. This psalm reminds us that we are safe and secure no matter the situation in God's care. There's nothing that can happen to us, no difficult situation, no loss that will separate us from God's loving care. How do we know that? Look at verse 1. He is called our shepherd, our shepherd. In verse 2, it talks about him guiding us on the right paths. One of the hardest things for me is when I find myself in trouble to believe that it's God's path for me. It's God's path for me. He guides us on the right path. Verse 4 says we have no reason to fear evil. And verse 6 promises us that we will dwell in his house forever. Forever. Can I just ask you this morning, where does your sense of security come from? Where does it come from? Is it your health? Have you ever had a shot across the bow on that front? Is it your finances or your retirement plan? Is it your family? Is it your house? Is it your car? Maybe it's my friends. Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's my lifestyle. Where does God fit into those things? The robust truth about the Christian life is that it's supposed to let us feel safe and secure no matter the situation. And I, you know what? Without fear, I just want to ask you, is it doing that for you? Is it doing that for you? God promises it can. God promises it should. The Lord says he's our shepherd. He says we will dwell with him now and forever. That's the first thing I want to encourage you. When you pray, when you ask him, when you cry out for help, when you praise him for the goodness in your life, do you think this about him? Do you think he can really do it? Do you think he can really make you content in the midst of the mess? Do you think he can really deliver you from the troubles of this or that? Do you think that he really is enough? What do you think? I know when I want to pray, or when I pray, I want to believe this. You know why I want to believe it? Because it corresponds to reality. I don't want to believe it because I like the Hallmark Channel. This is bedrock truth of how our universe works. He is in control. Second thing, our God is the one who is really in charge. One of the things I can hardly miss when I look at these verses is that God is in control. He has authority. In this psalm, we have a king saying to God, you are the one in charge. You are my shepherd. You make me lie down. You lead me. You restore me. You guide. You are with me. You prepare. You anoint. We have a king saying these things. What would you give for political leaders or leaders of any kind who acted like this? Oh my gosh, I would be so happy to pay my taxes. Right? I'd be thrilled to vote. Here we have a king acknowledging reality that God is king. Being a Christian, I believe, is about embracing the authority of God as much as it is about receiving his grace. It is the best thing that ever happened to me that I was rescued by a God who is sovereign and in control. I didn't grow up in the church and I've spent most of my life trying to embrace this idea that God has authority in my life and I want to enjoy that. I want to embrace it. I want to be grateful for it. I want to pray like I believe it. God is in charge of me. I want to take the junk that I drank from my upbringing. And I want to set it aside and I want to believe truth. That's what I think we should do too. Our God is really the one that's in charge. And then the third thing I want to put before you is that no matter our situation, our God is the only one, the only one who can truly satisfy our souls. Remember these two phrases in this psalm that drive at this issue of being satisfied. Verse one, I shall not be in want. I'm not gonna need for anything. My heart will be content. And then verse five, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. No matter our situation, God is only one who can satisfy our souls. You know, those good moments that I talked about when I was hiking, right? You know, you get to the green pasture of the top where you never have to walk uphill again. You get to that, uh, that refuge where you get to sleep and rest. Those are, those are fleeting, right? We have those. And they're good. You know what they're designed to do, the good moments in their life? They're supposed to remind us that there's one who can really satisfy. All the time, in every way, much of the discontent in my life has come when I forget this truth and try to look at the other things as things that are supposed to be durable and satisfy. Even the best things in my life don't endure like God, the one who can truly satisfy, the one who is my shepherd, the one who helps me not to want, the one who makes me lie down in green pastures, the one who restores my soul, the one who takes me through the valley, the one who makes a banquet for me, the one who makes goodness and mercy chase a sinner like me. And the one who promises me and you, any who put their hope in Jesus Christ, that you can, in fact, for sure, for real, dwell in his house forever, forever. One more thing, one more thing before we close. I think more than showing us what to believe when we pray, I want to believe right things when we pray. I want to pray right. I want my head to work and my heart to work when I'm crying out to God. I think Psalm 23 is an invitation to draw near to him. It's an invitation to draw near to God. Jesus put it like this. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you feel very far from God. Can I just suggest that this psalm is an invitation to come close to him? It's an invitation to draw near to him. This God who provides, this God who loves, this God who guides, this God who protects, this God who prepares, who invites, who presents goodness, and who offers life forever. Uh, if you feel far from God today whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian if you're a believer and you feel far from God today all you have to do is draw near to him if you're not a believer if you've never put your hope in Jesus there is one simple thing you can do to come to him Jesus says he's the good shepherd he says he lays his life down for the sheep he died on a cross for all our sins, all our brokenness. He rose again in glory. And he says, anybody who comes to him and puts their hope in him can draw near to God through him now and forever. Now and forever. I'm going to pray. I think we're going to sing more. Is that right? Remembering that right? Um, and uh, we'll continue in worship. Thanks for letting me share God's word with you these last few times. Father, we pause. We pause. We hear the words of a psalm like this, and we pray, Lord, they would help us to think rightly about who you are and what you've done, that we would believe true things when we pray to you. Father, we hear the words of a psalm like this, and we want to hear them as an invitation to come to you, to draw near to you. God, I confess in these months, there have been times where I have just, I have just wandered off and not been interested and not had the energy. And, uh, and Father, like a, like a thirsty man who tries to drink sand, I have looked in other places. Lord, help me to believe and us to believe that you are who you say you are, that the life you offer is what you say it is, and I pray that we would, we would experience it as we put our hope in you, as we pray to you by faith, and as we get to see that you are good, that your banquet lasts forever, and that you are indeed our shepherd. Amen.